In confusion and uncertainty, there emerges a guiding light, a beacon that cuts through the darkness. Welcome to Beacon of Truth with your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, uh, ready to start another week. And this week is special because this week, uh, Ash, Ash Wednesdays, this week was the start of Lent. Our penitential season, time we uh, call upon the mercy of the Lord, reconciliation, and uh, bring ourselves closer to him by sacrificing something uh, so that we're, we're physically reminded whether that hunger, that longing, that, that desire is always for Jesus Christ to be the heart and the center of our life. And so, uh, yeah, so where in the world am I? Because you know, this is a, this is one of the busiest times of the entire year for me as far as travel, and right now I am at Saint Jerome Catholic Church in Waco, Texas, uh, where I started a parish mission on uh, Saturday, uh, and um, it was actually interesting getting here. You know, it was one of those one of those travels days. We travel as much as I do. You know, days like that are going to happen. So I get to the airport like four o'clock in the morning. The flight leaves at. Uh, 5:55. So I, you know, the lounge opened at 4:15. I was up there. I prayed, prayed the office matins and lauds, you know. And I thought, well, do I have time to do a rosary or not? You know. So I said, well, let me do the rosary on the plane. So I went down to the gate, and not boarding, not boarding, not boarding, not boarding, not boarding. What's going on? Finally, about 45 minutes later, pilot comes out and says, there's an engine sensor light that's not working. They can't get it to go off. They tried to reset the plane. They tried to reset the device. Nothing's working. So they're going to have to fly in apart from Seattle and then they have to repair it. So we go back. And so two and a half hours later, they get the right part. They get the, everything working probably, but that caused me to miss my connecting flight to Dallas. So had to take a later flight. So by the time I got the car and drove down here to Waco, I got here at uh, 6 p.m. So I, I missed the uh, preaching at the 5 p.m. mass, but the, but the talk started at 6.45. Didn't even have time to change. So I just spoke in my travel clothes. But sometimes that happens. But what was amazing was the folks here at St. Jerome were praying for me the whole time. Of course, I, I let my contact here, Mary, know what was going on. And, and also Father James, a fantastic pastor here. And they both contacted everybody in the parish and you know for prayers for traveling mercies and I made it here and the talk went great usually the talk Sunday Monday Tuesday but there was some event last night uh what was it again it was some some kind of football game or something <laughs> just a small one yeah just just a small thing but so we instead of doing the talk Sunday we did it Saturday night and then of course the football last night and then uh, tonight and tomorrow are the, the are the two talks of the mission. So if you're in the Waco, Texas area, Austin in that area, just come come and see us over at St. Jerome. Would uh, would love to see you. There's definitely some EW10 people here. It was so great after the masses yesterday, um, greeting people after mass. Oh, Deacon, I love watching you on EW10. I, and again, here we go. I, I was I saw you in the middle of the night. What is it like every single time people say to me, oh, I like I, I couldn't sleep and I woke up and I was just turned on need to and there you were. I'm like, God, it must be a cure for insomnia. I'm not sure <laughs> what it is, but I mean, I can't tell you how many people have told me that. But hey, you know what? Thanks be to God they're watching. 
Thanks be to God they're watching EWTN. So I want to thank Mary um, uh, and Rita and Father James. I'm staying with Father James in the rectory. He's been such a gracious, uh, wonderful host. Uh, so I'm very looking forward to the next two days here. Went to Baylor University this morning and took a tour of the student center. Um, uh, my uh, good friend Robert Tunmeyer, uh, who works with uh, Heroic Men, heroicmen.com. Great, great resources for for men, for, literally from all over the world. And so we, we went uh, also to the Texas Ranger uh, Rangers Memorial today and, uh, and Museum, and, and then we went to lunch. So kind of a busy day today, but uh, it's great to be here uh, with all of you. Now, of course, we'd love for you to be part of the conversation here on Beacon of Truth. Give us a call, 833-288-3986, or email beacon, with a B, at EWTN.com. So how was your weekend, Ace? Well, you know, it always involves uh, a little bit of uh, relaxation, so I just wrapped it around with the football game last night, which was fun. It was good. The The thing I like is that my daughters are now into football, and so I get, uh, you know, between text messages from, you know, across states and down the hall, they're like, did you see that? No, You know, so, you know, if anything, we're just, you know, praying for the refs to be able to leave without any uh, issues, but, you know, it was a good game. That's what I had no skin in it, so to me it didn't really matter one way or the other. I was just like make it count don't, like don't make it a blowout enjoy it and you know someone will give god the glory at the end that's all that mattered to me you know yeah you know i was in a i was in kansas city uh last uh weekend and uh doing a training for deacon candidates there and of course they're all excited everybody in kansas city mm-hmm. with the chiefs and stuff so uh and uh yeah so i i, I uh so father and i after the the evening mass after the five o'clock mass, we went to a parishioner's home because uh, was, he was hosting a Super Bowl party. I, you know, Father and I didn't necessarily want to stay the whole time, but we stayed till halftime. And uh, so it was just nice to, to sit and talk with people and yeah. then uh, come back and just uh, just relax back at the rectory. But I had no skin in the game either, but uh, I was kind of rooting for the Chiefs, only because I've been going to sure. Kansas City for a number of years doing that training. And uh, so, uh, yeah, and their kicker is super Catholic, man. Yeah. He's like, he's well, like, I mean, and he broke a major yeah. record and then, you know, got trumped and it was like a back and forth of the kickers last night. So that was kind yeah. of a cool thing for them. It's, and I think that's the thing is finding that individual player. So like, you know, for years being a Peyton Manning fan, it didn't matter to me where he was playing. I was going to root for him. And then watching him and his family and just the dynamic of that was great. And then his brother going to the Super Bowl. So you 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 find out the stories behind the players and the heart of why they play and who they are. And to me, that's something to root for much more than the trophies and the rings and all that stuff. Well, absolutely. You know, when I was in Kansas City, I stayed in a home that's literally just a few houses down from Mahomes, the quarterback for the Chiefs. Yeah. And uh, the folks were telling me that he prays uh, to several hours before the game. Mm. That he's in prayer. I did not know that. Yeah, about I didn't him. Know he's that. not Catholic, but that's fine. I mean, sure. he's, loves he, he loves the Lord, and and I guess he spends. Like serious, like two hours in prayer, yeah, uh, before the game. <laughs> it's like wow, you know, and uh, and of course the kickers. Count. I mean, so there's a really wonderful uh, connection there with athletes and their faith. They they don't compromise their faith for the sport, but they recognize that their ability is God given, yeah. And they and they and and by by performing at that high of a level, they do give honor and praise and glory to God. 
Yeah. Uh, and that, I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing, no matter what profession you're in, that we should all be doing that. And by striving to do your best. Sure. You know, it's not just about winning, which, of course, you know, that's what you're striving for. But the, but the thing is to do your best. Mm -hmm. If you're a, an attorney, be the best attorney, the most honest attorney uh, that you can be. If you're an accountant, if you're a radio producer, right? Yeah. If you're a teacher, no matter what you're doing, do it to the very best of your ability because God has given you that ability. Yeah. And so you want to use those gifts to glorify him. So that when you when you throw that touchdown pass or when you hit that, you know, that amazing golf shot or or or, or you know, you you really help someone out of a financial bind mm -hmm. as a as a, a, an accountant or a tax advisor, you know, you're able to, to, to give someone peace and comfort, you know, um, but that, that's that's a beautiful gift from God. And, and that should be, that should be uh, something that's, that's celebrated. Well, and I always love thinking about football from a spiritual perspective of the idea of resiliency, right? Like, you know, we are, you know, it's kind of, I always joke, but it's seriousness to a point of everything we do when we make mistakes, we got to be like that middle linebacker. You missed a tackle, get back on the line. Cause you got to get ready for the next one. If you start letting it get into your head of, Oh man, I'm just not very good. And this is the big game. And like, if you, I mean, and we do that in our lives, no matter what our roles and things that we do. And then we think, Oh, I'm not good enough to do the thing that I'm in or the thing that God's calling me to. So I'll just give up. But resiliency, that's what our faith and trust in God is to get back on the line and play to the best of our abilities. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong by the way uh, uh, about being nervous. When, when you're doing something that God's called you to do. I mean, I, I, I've spoken in front of hundreds of thousands of people um, o over the years, uh, and, and I still get nervous every single time. Mm. It's just like when I was wrestling. You know, like you're nervous, you're nervous, you're nervous. You get out in the, the – you shake, you shake hands, the ref blows the whistle, bam, it's time to go to work. The nerves go away, it's time to focus. Yep. Same thing with me and my talks. If I'm speaking to 20 people – you know, um, at, at, a, at a, a men's uh, gathering or if I'm speaking to 20,000 people like I did in the Philippines at yeah. the Mall of Asia Arena. You know, um, it's the same. You know, nervous, nervous, nervous. They, they introduce you, you walk out, bam. Nerves go away, time to go to work. Mm. Well, our topic today is going to be the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, because we're focusing a lot this in the last three years, the bishop has moved our focus to the Eucharist, which is exactly where I think it should be coming out of the pandemic. So our hearts are yearning for flesh and blood. We're going to look at what Jesus' words means when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, and what it means for us. Be part of the conversation. Give us a call, 833 Welcome back to Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and and I I will I will say we on um, Beacon of Truth have the best <laughs> bumper music ever. And that's that and thanks in part to our great show team. We have our call screener Matt Gabinski, our social media expert Charles Berry, and of course our producer Ace McKay. Ace is in the place. And today's topic is the real presence of Christ. In the Eucharist, give us a call, 833-288-3986, or email us, beacon at EWTN.com. 
Of course, we want to let you know that Kids Faith Adventures, something that you, your kids, your grandkids can all do together and, you know, don't have to worry about it being a Super Bowl game for us to gather and get our snacks and enjoy that because uh, Kids Faith Adventures features some of the faith-filled television programs, including Cat Chat and also uh, great shows uh, that include the Friar Children's Rosary. Lots of great stuff, all easy to find at EWTN.com slash kids to find out more. Well, when you hear that music, you know what it means. It's time for the Psalms. Uh, You know, last week we went through and looked at a little bit of history of the Psalms. We looked a little bit of the structure of the Psalms. Uh, Just to give you an introduction, you know, so you can have some some understanding of the beauty of the Psalms that we hear at every single single Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So now, starting today, we dive into the Psalms. And what I'm going to try to do is match a psalm to the theme of what the show is. I'm going to try to do that to the best of my ability. It may not always go that way. <laughs> and some of the psalms are long, so we'll probably break them down. Like, for example, today, we're not going to look at the entire psalm. We'll just look at a segment of the psalm, but a segment of the psalm that speaks to our topic today. Again, real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And by the way, what version of the psalms am I using? I'm using the Revised Grail Psalms. Um, this, was a, this is the Psalms that have been approved for use uh, by the church in the United States of America. Um, this, in fact, this uh, version of the Psalm is actually starting to be used uh, in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass now. So um, when you hear the Psalms at Mass, it's, it's going to be this version, this newer version of the Psalms. Um, I like this version. There's some things I like about it very much. Um, and there's some things that I, you know, that, uh, not so much. <laughs> okay. Well, let me, let me give you an example. So for example, what I like is the, uh, it, it's, it's a little more faithful, um, to the, to the Jewish, uh, to, to the Masoretic text, uh, to the Hebrew. Um, and, and it keeps some of the Hebrew isms in the Psalm. So for example, not the one we're doing today, but the Psalm 119 or what's called the Tate strophe of psalm 119 um it says their hearts are dense like fat but your law is my delight (laughs) i love that that is so jewish their hearts are dense like fat you know the 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 translation that's in the breviary now or the the liturgy of the hours uh is a different translation than that but i love the jewishness of this psalm but then it also loses some of the sweetness it, you know, it's it's sacrificed a more literal translation for some of the sweetness of the psalm. So, for example, um, the Daleth strophe, uh, starting at uh, Psalm 119, starting at verse 25. It's, the translation uh, in the brief says, My soul lies in the dust. By your word, revive me. I love that image. Your soul lies in the dust, right? You're, that, that draws a beautiful image. This translation um, the revised grail says, my soul holds fast to the dust. Revive me by your word. Ah, it loses some of that sweetness, I think. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good translation uh, to the Hebrew, but it, I think it loses a little bit of that sweetness. You know, that little bit of a sweet flavor to the psalm um, in, in lieu of the uh, literal translation. So, I mean, but, but I, I like this translation a lot. This is the one that I actually pray with every day. When I, when, I, when I pray the Psalms, I use this, uh, this translation. So let's dive in. So if you have your Bibles, 
and, and that's why if you're looking at the Psalms in your Bible, the translation may be different from the one I'm using. That's why I brought that up. But Psalm 66, Psalm 66, starting at verse 13. We're going to look at verses 13 to 20 today. So verse 13 starts. Oh, first of all, Psalm 66, uh, the, the prescript says, for the choir master, a song, a psalm, right? So it doesn't uh, have who this psalm is attributed to, but um, it's most likely David. Because uh, David, as you said, in book one, Psalms 1 to 41 were attributed to David. And then in, and in book two, uh, Psalm 42 to 49 is the sons of Korah. Psalm 50 uh, is Asaph. And then 51 to 72 is David. So this is 66. So this is most likely David. It says, uh, verse 13, burnt offerings I bring to your house. To you I will pay my vows. So it's talking about the burnt offerings I bring to your house. So the burnt offering, the sacrifice, the offering, the lamb. In the Old Testament, remember the lamb, the sheep, or the goat uh, that was offered for a sin offering. Um, you know, and if, What does that mean for our lives today? What do we bring? We bring ourselves. Our life is an offering to God. And we make vows. We make vows at baptism. We make vows at confirmation. We make vows when we get married, right? Uh, and so the, we, we make these beautiful vows to the Lord in the sacramental life of the church because our life is an offering. And, and we bring it to the house. Where's the house of the Lord? We bring it to, to the church where, where the people of God are gathered. Burnt offering I bring to your house. The offering of my life I give to you, O Lord. To you I will pay my vows. The vows which my lips have uttered, which my mouth declared in my distress. Right? So it's not just, okay, oh, I'm in trouble. I got to pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord, if you, if you save my daughter's life or if, if you make this happen, I promise I will do this. Right? <laughs> A lot of us have done that at some time or other. We make these promises to God. Um, you know, if, if, if you do this for me, God, then I promise I will do this. Okay. And so we, sometimes we make these promises to God in our hearts out of distress and not really out of, out of love, you know? Um, uh, so we have, there's something that I think we need to be careful of that when we're making promises before God, that we're making them from the depths of our heart and the depths of, of, of our being. All right. And it continues in verse 15. I will offer you burnt offerings of fatlings with the smoke of sacrificial rams. I will offer bullocks and goats, right? So, so these, there's three types of offering. There was a primary offering, the secondary offering, and the tertiary offering. And so the, the fat, when it reads rams and bullocks and goats, that was the primary offering. Why? We're offering God our best, right? Uh, that we're offering God the best that we have, the best that we are, mm -hmm. that's what we're offering to God. And I think that's what was the problem with Cain and Abel. Um, uh, Abel offered God his best uh, uh, of, his, of his fruits. He offered his best. And I think uh, Cain just offered what he had left over. Whatever was there, that's what he gave to the Lord. And the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. So we want to be careful. We want to make sure that we're giving 
our very best to God at all times. Well, and I, that brings up a good point because, I mean, a lot of times, you know, you say, you know, we go to God in frustration. I think he allows us to get that frustrated so that when we're like, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. So please take it. So that's 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 a good point. But what about in in those moments of when do you know that you've given enough? Because I know I hear that a lot from people like, well, I give and I give or or well, I give this to God. And like I hear both sides of the coin. What is where should that pendulum really lay for us to feel like we're giving our best or giving the ultimate sacrifice? Well, you know, often you know it in your heart when you're giving your best. Uh, when, you, when you make that effort and at the end of that effort, you feel, OK, whoo. I gave everything. I got. I left nothing on the table. I gave everything, mm. as opposed to feeling like oh, I could. I held back a little bit. I mean, you feel it in your conscience. Yeah. You feel it in your conscience. Your conscience telling you, you know, you could have done more here. You could have did more here. You know, you you held back. So, and why do we hold back? Sometimes we don't trust. Mm. Sometimes we don't love enough. Yeah. Right. We fear too much we don't love enough we, we let fear take over and we hold back something of ourselves almost like a safety net you know I, I, but you can't do that in any covenant relationship especially covenant relationship with god imagine what's another covenant relationship with your spouse right you're married mm-hmm. uh, i give myself totally completely to you oh except for this piece i hold back a piece of myself from you that's not that's not total complete commitment yeah. what if jesus did that on the cross why well, give you everything except i hold this little piece back from salvation he didn't do that he gave everything mm-hmm. his life his life his very life and that's what we have to give i mean not literally give our lives but yeah. um to give everything of ourselves in that effort to honor and glorify god we can't leave anything on the table and that's that's how we make an offering of our lives an offering acceptable to god mm-hmm. right uh the psalm continues in verse 16 Come and hear all who fear God. Okay, so the word for fear here is, does not mean be afraid of God, right? Because sometimes people will say, well, you, you Christians, look at your, your, your Bible. It says you have to fear God. Who, who wants to, how can you love God when you're supposed to be afraid of him? Er, wrong. The word is Yahweh in Hebrew there, which means honor, reverence, and respect. It's a filial fear. It's, the, it's kind of the fear you have of disappointing your parents, right? That kind of fear. Um, like, oh, I got, I got to tell my mom and dad something. Oh, it's going to be really hard to say. You know, it's that, it's that kind of fear. It, it's not being afraid of them. It's honor, reverence, and respect. So come here, all you who honor, reverence, respect God, fear the Lord. I will tell you what he did for my soul. To him I cried aloud with exultation ready on my tongue. So when we make the sacrifice, we make the offering of our lives to God, when we make the promises and vows to God, uh, it, 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 that's good news. That, that's the gospel. We can't keep that to ourselves, right? We cannot keep it, that. The news is too awesome for us to hold in, for us to hold back, right? And, and, and so Come in here, all you fear God. Let me tell you what he did for my soul. Share your faith experiences with, with other people. Let them know what God did in your life when you offered everything to him. It's beautiful. Had I considered evil in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has heeded the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who did not reject my prayer, nor withhold from me his merciful love. Uh, hesed there in Hebrew means, means, means merciful love. 
So when we give everything to God, we don't hold anything back from God. God will not hold anything back from us as well. He heeded the voice of our prayer. Uh, he, he answered the prayers that will allow us to be always closer to him. Blessed be God who did not reject my prayer nor withhold from me his merciful love. Ah, so in response to our sacrifice, what does God give us? Not a genie that grants every wish that we desire, but he gives us and never withholds from us his merciful love. That is the response to sacrifice, love. All right, so we're going to dive into our topic today, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. When you part of the conversation, give us a call, 833-288-3986. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burt Sivers, and we have our crack staff that are on it today, our cross call scooter, Matt Gabinski, our social media expert, Charles Berry, and of course, our producer, Ace McKay is in the place. So give us a call, 833-288-3986, or email us, beacon at EWTN.com. And I saw that uh, Amory here uh, had a... a, a she we had a statement that uh, that she is she still on the line there or are we just going to read her statement? So that's there? more that's from uh, YouTube. So she's just oh from YouTube. Her comments oh there. great, yeah. yeah. She said from the time of baptism, our whole life is meant to glorify God. So we should invite God into every relationship, every trial, every job, every aspect of our life. Amen. Hmm. Yes. Anne Marie, exactly, Anna Marie, exactly right. Uh, every aspect of our life, our thoughts, our hearts, our decisions that we make yeah. should always be come from this hub. It's like a hub of a wheel, right? The spokes go out, but the, the core is the hub. So the spokes are our decisions, our life, um, our job. Everything comes from that source, which is the, the heart and center of our relationship, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Beautiful. Um, I do have a question for you, but first I do want to remind our audience that uh, you can join Catholics from around the world, as we recall, in prayer and devotion to St. Faustina with the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. That is Monday through Friday mornings, 5 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Uh, make sure you download our mobile app, too, so that way you can have it with you wherever you go. And uh, Deacon, you were talking earlier about, you know, in the same way that we don't, like we fear our parents, like in disappointing them. I would love for your input, because I know I'm guilty of this a lot, and I think others may also, is that we go to God last in the same way that we go to mom and dad last. Like, we don't want to tell them what we've done. You know, I, I, I broke the vase. I, you know, busted the window. I, you know, cheated in my marriage. I, you know, whatever. I mean, like, we don't want to have those conversations with our parents because we don't want to disappoint them. And in that same way, how, how do we rectify that in our own emotions so that we go to him first. Like if we're creating new habits for Lent, how do we do that? Yeah. See, so God is a loving father, right? So we just, mm -hmm. just like we don't want to disappoint our parents. We don't want to disappoint God as well. Amen. So what do we do? You did something wrong. Oh, I got to tell mom and dad. So you try to, first of all, first of all, you try, you try to find a way to fix it. Right. Is there a way I could fix this? So that first of all, it doesn't look like anything happened or it lessens the impact. 
of what happened. Mm -hmm. So you try to fix it yourself. And uh, that doesn't work. It's always best to be honest. Yes, it's painful. Yes, you know, you have to go through some trial there. But you know what? It's the kind of thing where you learn from your mistakes. You grow from your mistakes. You know, you you put yourself in a mindset in a situation. So next time I'm in this situation, I'm going to respond and react differently. Mm-hmm. Same thing with God. We 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 can't. We we already made. We already did the sin. We already did the action. And yeah, we may try to work to try to mitigate it. You know, before we go to confession, like if I maybe if I try to fix it with this person or fix the situation first, then it, you know maybe I won't have to go to confession as much. Or maybe I, you know what? No, it's already done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so and, and just like your parents, the only person that can really forgive you for a sin against them is your parents. Yeah. And the only one that can forgive you for a sin against Almighty God is God Himself. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. so so we just have to have the courage to admit, and that's the hardest thing to admit that we're wrong. To admit, because what what are we afraid of? We're afraid of repercussions. Right. Uh oh, this is going to happen to me. There's a consequence that's going to happen because of this action that I took, and that may be true. Because what what is the purpose of the consequence? So you can learn and grow from that experience. Yes, there's some punitive this to it there but this is really to expand your heart to make more room in your heart so when you're in that situation make a different decision next time now you're making the decision out of love not out of fear not out of a longing desire for some pleasure Mm -hmm. that you derive from this action but you're making it from a heart that that is giving itself totally to god see i think that's that's the difference and that's what you need to focus on during uh during this Lenten season. But now we're going to focus on the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So if you're coming to St. Jerome's tonight, close your ears because I'm going to talk about the same stuff tonight. <laughs> so basically, where we get this longing and yearning for flesh and blood? You know, like I mentioned, I'm not a big TV watcher. Um, uh, but I noticed during the pandemic that there are a lot of shows about vampires and zombies on television. And I, I was asking myself, why is this culture so obsessed with these malevolent creatures of folklore and legend? And then it hit me. What do vampires and zombies have in common? They're dead, but yet they're alive. Now, what does a vampire that's dead have to do to stay alive? Drink blood. What's a zombie that's dead have to do to stay alive? Eat flesh. See, what the culture's craving is flesh and blood. But because they don't know what's happening to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, because they don't know who's in the tabernacle, because they don't know who's in the monstrance, uh, in, in the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist, they're trying to find flesh and blood in creatures that are dead. That can't give them anything except take their money. When for free, why is it free? Jesus Christ already paid the price. They can come to the altar of the living God and the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and receive the true flesh and blood of Jesus that will give them life forever. Vampires and zombies make believe. What happens at the holy sacrifice of the mass is the really real. In fact, you will not be that close to God again. When you take God and put him in your body, the, you know, the body of Christ, amen, and you receive the living God into your own flesh, the two of you become one flesh. That intimate encounter is the deepest form of intimacy we can have with God on earth as Catholics uniting the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus to our own. And the next time you'll be that close to God is when you're dead and you're standing before him for the particular judgment. On earth, it's the Eucharist. Now, let's take a look at, uh, at some connections here um, uh, between the, the, what's happening at Mass and Eucharist. So, so uh, 
for, because of time today, let's just focus on the words of Christ. Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. Now, how do we know that he meant it literally? Not figuratively, not as a sign or symbol, but literally. This is because on the surface, it seems kind of nuts, right? How could, look at John 6. Jesus said, listen, eat the flesh, son of man, drink his blood, you have no life. They said, well, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They heard him literally. They, they heard him literally saying, take his flesh, and then gnaw, the, the, the word in Greek is gnaw or, or chew, you know, uh, to, to eat the flesh. And, and sarx is the Greek word for flesh, flesh on the bone. Um, so so they, they heard him say that, and Jesus doesn't backtrack. He doesn't say, I'm only speaking symbolically. He doubles down, and they walk away from him. So when he says, this is my body, how, does he, how do we know for sure he meant it literally? So I had the great honor and privilege of, of traveling to Perth, Australia a few years back with my good friend Charbel Raish from Prussia. And um, we were, I was giving a talk on the Catholic response to atheism. And, I, and it was a fairly, it was a university, right? So it was a fairly academic talk. I talked about the anthropic principle of a fine-tuned universe, multi-universe theory, entropy, um, oscillating universe theory, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, at the end of the talk, one of the professors who's atheist came up to me. He, he was very nice, and he said, you know, I, I want to thank you for your presentation, first of all, because you didn't mock us. Because some people come here who are not atheists, and they mock us and ridicule us. You didn't do that. And you accurately stated what we believe as atheists. Um, and the, you were honest about what we believe. I said, well, thank you. I, I, I thought it was very nice, and I wanted to make small talk. I said, what do you teach here, professor? He said, he said, uh, Greek. I said, you teach Greek here? He said, yes. I said, Holy Spirit moment. I said, um, Professor, do you happen to have a New Testament in Greek in your office? He said, yes. I said, if it's not too much trouble, could you go get it for me? And he looked at me with a, kind of a strange look. This guy flies halfway around the world to ask an atheist about a question about something in the Bible. But he was very gracious. Um, so he went. And he got the New Testament in Greek and he brought it back. Now, first of all, why would he have a New Testament in Greek if he's an atheist, right? I mean, he teaches Greek. <laughs> so for, for him, it's just a form of Greek literature. So we open up the Luke twenty two nineteen. So Luke twenty two nineteen says, this is my body, which is given for you, okay? Literally in Greek, tauto estin to somo moi. This is the body of me. So I, I said, professor, can you explain to me what is going on in that sentence? So he looks at it. We, we both look at it in Greek, and he says, the subject of the sentence is making the absolute identification with the object. So I looked at him. I said, can you say that again so I can tell people what you mean? And he laughed. He said, the person speaking is using a neutive demonstrative adjective, this, tauto, which modifies the, the noun further in the sentence. Now, if Jesus was holding bread, you expect to see the word artos which is the Greek word for bread. This is bread. But instead you see soma, which is body, a, a, a neuter noun. So the demonstrative adjective is modifying the, 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 the neuter noun, body, soma. So he's saying whatever this is, the person speaking is saying that this is absolutely, unequivocally, without question or doubt, his physical body that he's holding. 
So I said, okay, let me, let me be clear. Um, can you look at that sentence and say, it's just a sign, it's a symbol, it's an example, it's a metaphor? It's just, he said, absolutely not. I said, okay, let me, let me say it again. Let me, let me ask you this, this way. If the person were holding their own arm, their own leg, their liver, their kidney, and they're saying, this is my body, that's what the person means? He said, yes. I said, okay, professor. One last question. Um, if, if the person, uh, how could you get a different interpretation of that verse from what you just told me? He said, I saw Jesus. Okay, so I knew what he meant, but let me explain. So exegesis is when you look at a text and you extract the meaning from the text. Eisegesis is when you read your own meaning into the text. So now the text no longer means what, it's, what, you, what it actually says. It means what you want it to mean. You're reading your own meaning into the text. He said that's the only way you can get a different interpretation of the text. Now, why is that example so powerful? He's an atheist. He doesn't, look, he doesn't believe what the Catholics say. He doesn't believe what the Protestants say. He doesn't care. In fact, he doesn't even believe in himself. What he believes doesn't matter. What matters is what the verse actually says. He says that this is what it means. The person speaking means this. If you want it to mean something else, you have to make it mean something else. So there's no getting around whatsoever when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, that he meant it unequivocally and absolutely and objectively true, objective reality of his flesh and blood. Now, Jesus says some more words. Do this in remembrance of me. He does not say, when you do this, remember me. Not just playing with words here. Jesus said those words in that order for a purpose. In fact, those words are so powerful that if the priest does not say those words at Mass, there is no Eucharist. He could have the right matter. He could have like, you know, for us in the, in the Western church, unleavened bread, wine, grape wine. Of course, in the Eastern churches, uh, they, they use leavened bread because they mix the elements together. Uh, but for us, unleavened bread and great wine, uh, uh, you can't use anything else. And you have to say, the, the form is you have to say the words of Jesus. In fact, in the Roman Missal, those words of institution are in big capital letters. So that it, it emphasizes you must say these words. Okay, now, let's take a look at Jesus' words. He's, first of all, he says, do this. Now, the word do there is not like hacer in Spanish, which means to do or to make, or facere in Latin, which means to do or to make. Um, the, uh, there's a, a couple of different types of sacrifice they offer. They offer blood sacrifices for the spilling or shedding of blood, which is zarach. In Hebrew, zarach sacrifice or lamb, a sheep, or a goat, like we talked about in Psalm 66 that we looked at earlier. Um, but there's also sacrifices that you can't kill. Grain, wine, oil incense right so when Zechariah was in uh, remember he was high priest for that year and he went in to the temple and he threw the incense on the 
uh, uh, the mercy seat, the Holy of Holies. And, and remember, Gabriel came to him and said, oh, by the way, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. He's going to be John the Baptist. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He was offering incense, right? So when you offer those types of sacrifices, grain, wine, oil, incense, you can't use the word zarach because it doesn't bleed. You can't use the same word for bloody sacrifice and unbloody sacrifice. So they use the word asa, which means to do a sacrifice. It is specific Jewish terminology for offering a sacrifice that cannot be killed. Now, why is that important? Remember Genesis 14, uh, 18, uh, where we see Melchizedek. Right? He shows up kind of out of nowhere. Right? And, and what does he offer? Uh, so, so Abram, he, his name's not changed to Abraham. Abram prays him the tithe. And what does he uh, offer? Bread and wine. Melech Zedek. Melech Zedek in, in Hebrew, the king of righteousness. So what's the connection? Psalm 110, another messianic psalm of fulfillment written by David. David says that the Messiah, he is a, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So he says that the Messiah is in the order of Melchizedek. What did Melchizedek offer? Bread and wine. What did Jesus offer? The true king of righteousness. What did he offer at the Last Supper? Bread and wine. So look, look at the beauty. He offered his sacrifice, the blood, the Zadok sacrifice on the cross, and he also offers the Asa sacrifice at the Last Supper. But they're, they're both and. It is the sacrifice of Christ that takes place within the context of a meal. So it's both and. Why is, is the completion, the fullness of offering, the fullness of sacrifice is what's happening at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So he says, do this in remembrance. Anamnesis in Greek or zacher in Hebrew, zacher. So if you have friends that are Jewish, they will, they will back, back me up totally 100% of what I'm going to share with you right now. So in Hebrew, when, when, it, when our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters to this very day, when they uh, offer the Seder meal, the Passover meal, they are not simply remembering what happened in Exodus. They're actually there. They're actually there. So Zakir, and, and after we offer, we, we're offering the Zakir or that kind of remembrance or memorial sacrifice, it, it's the sweet-smelling smoke of incense offered with a sacrifice of grain, Wine or oil, right? Zacher uh, uh, with the asa. So you see how those are united, asa and zacher, right? Specifically, a memorial sacrifice offered for the atonement of sins of the past. So the graces and blessings of the past event are made real and present now. So they're not just celebrating the, the, the Passover over and over and over and over and over again, they are celebrating the one Passover sacrifice from the book of Exodus. The same graces and the same blessings, the same atonement that was made at the uh, Passover in Exodus, that same graces, the same blessing, the same atonement is made right now. The one event is made real and present now. How do we know this is true? Look at Exodus chapter 13, verse 8. Now, during the Seder meal, there's a series of questions that are answered. Why is this night different from every other night? Why, why are we eating unleavened bread? Why are we eating bitter herbs? Why are we doing this? Why? What, was the, what was the answer that the father of the family, the father who was the priest of the family, 
What was the answer he gave to his child? Exodus 13.8. You should tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of the land of Egypt. Not what the Lord did for our ancestors 3,000 years ago when they came out of the land of Egypt. No. What the Lord did for me when I came out of the land of Egypt. So Jesus uses that same language. The Asa sacrifice, uh, the, 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 blood, the blood, of course his blood would was, was be spilled on the cross the next day on Good Friday, of course. That would unite what he did at the, the Last Supper to what he did on the cross. But it, it, the, the, offer, the sweet smell of incense is his offering on the cross. Uh, a sacrifice of grain, wine, or oil, the same graces, the same blessings, the same atonements that happened on Good Friday are made real and present on the altar at every holy sacrifice of the Mass. We're not killing Christ over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It is the one sacrifice of Christ on that, on that one Good Friday. The graces, the blessings, the atonements are made real and present on the altar at every Mass. It is, the, 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 again, the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus. The fact that it still looks like bread, it still tastes like bread, those are accidents. So the substance, the essence, the nature of what that bread is and that wine is, is gone. All that's left is Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, divinity. No, that is the reality that we celebrate at holy, every holy sacrifice of Mass. So what does that mean? When we are at Mass, we are at the foot of the cross. We are there. We're not just remembering what happened. We are actually there. That's what's so beautiful about our faith. What is something that we could do during Lent to really reset our place of the significance of, you know, not only just in the in understanding the Eucharist in general, but in a daily, like going to Mass daily and partaking daily, like why we need that. Because how, how, there's—I I know it was this way for me for years. Like I knew, the, I knew the seriousness of it, and I understood what the elements were, but there still was this, you know, bread and wine in my mind. Like where, 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 is, where does that connection, as we try to think about what the next 40 days looks like? Oh, the, the easy answer for me is adoration. <laughs> without question or doubt yeah. the more time you spend in front of Jesus the more he will work on your heart the more he will work on your doubt the more he will work on your disbelief mm. because I mean let's, let's be real sometimes you just you go through the motion master body of Christ amen you receive you go back you sit down you think about okay uh, we got reservations at uh, BJ's after you know yeah. mass you know I hope it's not too crowded And I mean we're thinking about all these things Instead of just recognizing, wait a minute, just a minute ago, I just received the living God into my body. Mm. What, what, what does that mean for my life now? How is my life going to be different because I've just united myself to Christ? Uh, how, how, that, those are the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about. Um, you know, so uh, and for me, spending that time in adoration. And so, you know what? Hey, go to go to Adoration. Jesus, you know what? Sometimes I disbelieve. Help my unbelief. Just like we see in the scriptures. Yeah. You know, he goes, I, I, Lord, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Just go and be honest and share your heart about your doubts. Lord, I mean, look at and, and another thing, the Eucharistic miracles. You know, uh, Carlos Acutis. 
uh, you know, he, he spent his young life trying to share these Eucharistic miracles with the world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, take advantage of looking at those Eucharistic miracles uh, and, and realize that God is uh, connecting with us. Um, it, it body, blood, soul, divinity, the Eucharist. You know, so I, I think uh, to spend that time, yeah, go to daily mass, soak in the word, allow the word to um, prepare your heart, mind, and soul to then receive him again in the Eucharist. And the deeper we can make the connection between the word and the Eucharist. We are fed and nurtured by the word. And the more we take in that word, the more our minds and hearts are prepared to receive Jesus again, body, blood, soul, divinity. And it's that beautiful combination of word and sacrament that then impels us forward to yeah. go back out into the world to be Eucharist to the world. Well, and, and, I, the, and, 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 we, talk, and we talk about Ace in the beginning, yeah. using our gifts sure. to the best of our ability. The more we unite ourselves to Christ in word and sacrament, the more God will be able to use. Because now we're opening our hearts and freeing our hearts for God. Because yeah. when your will and, and God's will are united, when they're one, now you're free, truly free to become the person who God created you to be. Well, and that's the beauty of the sacraments. And you bring up a valid point, which really didn't even dawn on me till yesterday, uh, walking into service, is the, either the tempo of the day or the tempo of the people in the room with me affecting my tempo as I go through the elements. So I, you know, just because someone is like right against my back doesn't mean that I have to rush through. I'm taking my moment. I'm, you know, in preparing my heart, even going into the service rather than just walking in and expecting something to happen in mass. Not that it can't, but I also am responsible for what I'm doing to prepare myself going in so that I'm in the right heart set. There you go. And it's often difficult, especially we got young kids. You know, you're trying to get all you think about is like, oh, let's get the kids to mass. Hope someone doesn't throw up during mass or poop yep. during mass or something like that. Because you got <laughs> little babies, you know, and, and you're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Never mind trying to prepare for mass. You know, so I get it. So, so what are you listening to in the car on the way there? Maybe a the Bible on 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 tape or something like that. You know, it'd be a, a great way. Music, to, music, to music. That. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there it is. There it is. And so finally, I just want to make a quick note. When Jesus says, "Drink my blood." Um, because there was a, a strong prohibition in Leviticus 17 against the consumption of blood. But Jesus says, drink my blood because the blood is the life. He wants his life in us. So beautiful. So the topic for tomorrow, masculine spirituality. What does it mean to be a man of God? Because we're confused about that in our culture today. Remember, you can stream today's show by visiting Podcast Central at EW10.com slash radio. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. See you next time.